Welcome and welcome to Smart and Well, a podcast supporting mental health and well-being for students and early career researchers from all the academic fields. Anxiety is a common experience among people in academia. The pressure to perform well, write and publish papers and secure funding can be overwhelming and can all lead to feelings of anxiety and stress. Plus, the competitive nature of academia can amplify them, creating a culture where anxiety is normalized and it becomes harder for people to recognize it as a problem. On top of this, the COVID-19 pandemic has further increased anxiety levels. Many students and researchers had to adjust to remote learning and research, deal with uncertainty and cope with the added stressors of the pandemic. Prolonged exposure to these triggers and intense activation of stress responses can lead to changes in brain and body functioning, which can then considerably increase the risk of developing anxiety disorders. Given all that, it's important for academics to practice self-care and seek support when anxiety takes over daily life. By taking steps to become aware of anxiety and to learn how to manage it, you can improve your overall well-being and achieve your goals in academia without neglecting and damaging your mental health. Today's guest is an expert in the neuroscience of anxiety disorders and psychotherapy. Professor Ulrike Lucan is currently a senior faculty member in the Department of Psychology at the Humboldt Universität zu Berlin and a trained psychotherapist. In this episode, we will talk about anxiety disorder in academia and discuss its symptoms, potential triggers, and treatment options. Professor Lucan, I'm delighted to welcome you as a guest on our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much for your invitation. So my first question is, how common is anxiety disorder in general population? And is it any different among students and early career researchers? So anxiety disorders as a group are the most prevalent mental disorders worldwide. So we know that people that are affected by an anxiety disorder add up to 14% of the population, which is in numbers more than 60 million people, for example, that are affected in Europe. And besides this individual suffering, it's also estimated that the costs per year exceed 70 billion euros for treating and for the indirect costs that are caused by anxiety disorders. We know that uh, mental disorders in general are more prevalent in lower socioeconomic classes and with less education. However, regarding the early career researchers, we know that the incidence of anxiety disorders is among the earliest, peaking in, well, adolescence or uh, late childhood and adolescence. And therefore, early career researchers may still, you know, just uh, be within the late parts of the sensitive time period. Right. So could you actually explain a bit more the specific symptoms of anxiety disorder? So how is it different from just stress? So what are the features? Yes, it's important to note that fear, anxiety, arousal are normal and also adaptive phenomena because they help us to cope with challenging situations. But however, anxiety can go wrong, so to say, or can become problematic if it is uh, exaggerated or if you have a disproportionate fear and more important, if you 
avoid certain situations. So there are different types of anxiety disorders which can be distinguished according to the main focus of fear, whether you fear, for example, specific objects or situations like little animals, then it is called a specific phobia, uh, maybe also anxiety or fear regarding uh, medical operations, blood injection injury, then it's a specific type of specific phobia. Um, but we also have social anxiety disorder where affected people fear to be negatively evaluated by others. Then we have panic disorder. The panic disorder is characterized by a fear of, um, you know, having a severe medical condition like a heart attack or something. And then I could, uh, could die of this. And this is due because these people experience a panic attack, which is characterized by pronounced physiological symptoms. A panic attack is an episode with uh, rather short uh, acting where you have a clear crescendo of your fear and anxiety. And this is usually people feel life threatened by this. And uh, the problem here is that this panic attack usually occurs unexpectedly. So like out of the blue. And then we have uh, a condition that we call agoraphobia, which is often following a panic disorder where people have fear to be trapped in a situation where they cannot get out without help or without embarrassment. So usually if you have a panic attack that comes out of the blue, then you develop, if it goes on, agoraphobia or you're likely to develop agoraphobia. So uh, and this occurs then in public spaces, for example, in a lecture hall or in a seminar room or uh, in the theater or on the market or whatever. Even being alone at home can be a highly agoraphobic situation. So the last anxiety disorder I would like to stress is what we call generalized anxiety disorder. This is mainly characterized by exaggerated worries. Worries are thoughts about the future where you think something bad can happen. And during such a worry episode, you you think about this repeatedly, let's say for several hours, for example, what can happen to you in a financial way or for your career or for your health or for people that are close to you. And usually you go into what we call worry cycles where it's difficult to distance from this worry thoughts. And this can lead to sleeping problems, to increased chronic arousal, um, and also is also highly um, associated with depression. So what we can say, besides these very phenomenologically different anxiety disorders, they all share the feature of disproportionate fear and avoidance. The problem with anxiety disorders is not the fear, but it's the avoidance. Because if you start to avoid, then you get easily into what we call a vicious circle. So, for example, imagine you have to give a talk on an international conference, right? Sounds so, scary. <laughs> in the beginning, but you can learn. However, if your anxiety uh, or your fearful expectations prevent you from giving the talk, you're avoiding. And then you may immediately feel relieved because you don't have to uh, expose yourself to the situation. But on the long run, you get hampered in your career and you cannot learn to cope with these situations and you cannot learn that you can master these situations and you cannot develop the skills to give a professional talk. So the avoidance prevents you from learning new skills and, you know, testing your fearful expectations. You never know 
whether you failed or not. But by avoiding, you won't find out. And the problem then is not only that you don't learn something new, but that you then develop what we call functional impairment. You will be hampered in your career. If you can't give a talk, if you stay at home, you may not be able, you know, to finish your exams or your study. And then functional impairment comes into place. And the threshold from normal or exaggerated anxiety to disorder is met if you suffer significantly And if you show this functional impairment, this is important whenever we have to decide whether the problems people report to us fulfill criteria for mental disorder. Right. So one of the biggest stressors or stressful events in the past few years was the pandemic, of course. How did COVID-19 pandemic affect the incidence of anxiety disorder? Yes, so the COVID-19 pandemic was a huge stressor that affected large parts of society, mainly younger people and women, I have to say. And we know that anxiety disorders are a mixture of an individual vulnerability you have, like a genetic makeup or personality traits, but then these are hit by stressors, right? So and as the pandemic exposed many of us to chronic stress, We very early were worried about that this will increase the prevalence of anxiety disorders. And current meta-analysis uh, that estimated the prevalence of depression and anxiety disorders following the pandemic worldwide um, estimated that we had about 50 million additional cases of depression and more than 76 million additional cases of an anxiety disorder worldwide. So... We have to expect that uh, the prevalence rates are rising because unlike the pandemic where you have a very short incubation time, so to say, of let's say one to three days maybe, the right. incubation time of a mental disorder is about months to years. And this is why we expect a delayed onset but a sustained elevated rate of mental disorders due to the pandemic. This is about the new cases, but we also investigated how patients that already suffered from an anxiety disorder experienced the pandemic. And uh, for this goal, we asked the patients that are treated in our outpatient center here at HU Berlin. And it was interesting to see that patients very differentially processed the load of the pandemic, particularly for those suffering from a social anxiety disorder. It was a partial relief because the social distancing measures were a kind of prescription of their symptoms, so to say. Right. right. Yeah. Health healthcare resources like psychotherapists or physicians or others were only limited available. And on the other hand, the request for psychotherapeutic help largely increased by about 40%. So there was a high load of uh, people who uh, requested psychotherapy, but on the other hand, services were not that available, particularly during the early stage of the pandemic. We then switched a lot to digital treatments, and now it's okay, but still we have this large, you know, overshoot of requests on psychotherapeutic services. Yeah, I can imagine. So talking about the potential triggers or what can be the final drop for developing anxiety disorder, are there any specific potential triggers that are characteristic for academic environment? 
Yes, you already pointed out in the intro that the academic environment is characterized by a very performance-centered environment, which is quite competitive, where you have many uh, young talents that aim to pursue an academic career. And also on the same the career paths are rather uncertain. So in the academic environment, I think there are three issues you have to cope with. It's a performance pressure, it's competition, and it's uncertainty, right? However, I would also like to point out that every environment where you want to pursue a career will have some of these features, right? So, True. yeah, so whenever you go, you know, into a career development, you want to go for a leadership or for a management position, there's always competition you have to deal with. So um, I think that the PhD phase, to frame it in a positive way, is also a phase where you can test whether this is the right environment for your later career. So it's also a chance to try out whether you can cope with these stressors or not. Right. So you mentioned that generally stress response is a normal and helpful response. But while it's normal to experience anxiety, for example, before deadline uh, or when we get a negative feedback or, as you mentioned, also give a talk in front of a big audience, um, can this prolong this exposure to these triggers lead to anxiety disorder? Yes. So as you pointed out, and this is absolutely right, fear and arousal are normal and highly adaptive phenomena. The reason why we have this is an evolutionary one. So fear is mainly the most important and the oldest primary emotion that we have because it promotes survival. So You know, in ancient times, it was key for us, for example, to run away when a predator attacked us or to fight against the predator. Uh, nowadays, the predator sits next to your office, right? So it's not very adaptive to run away, but the basic physiological reactions still remain the same. You have an activation of the autonomic system, heart rate elevates, cortisol and adrenaline will be, you know, excreted into, into, into your blood system and will act on, on your organs. And also, of course, you have the emotional and cognitive components of a fear and arousal uh, reaction. So this is absolutely normal when you face a challenging situation and everyone will do so, right? So if you are giving your first talk, you should be anxious. And the reason is that this will also partly increase your performance. I, know, I don't know whether you know this old Jörgs-Dotson law, right? The Jörgs-Dotson law is a law that says, well, performance and arousal are correlated. This is an inverted U-shaped function, meaning that you have a low level of arousal. Your performance will not be very good. If the level is too high, also performance is not very good. But if you're in a medium range, then your performance will be optimal. So your arousal will support your performance. I think this is very important. Another point regarding the situation, giving the talk in the international audience, right? The, uh, these rules of arousal and anxiety, performance anxiety, apply to us all, right? But the important point here is inner world does not automatically translate to outer world. So although you feel nervous, it's not necessarily the case that everyone sees that you're nervous. Right. Right? 
I remember from one conference where I worked as a student uh, assistant, I uh, was helping a speaker with a microphone and uh, they were obviously very anxious before the talk. But during the talk, I could not tell that they were so yes. anxious before the start. Yes. So this is a good role model then to see that even senior researchers are nervous when talking in the audience, right? Mm -hmm. And another point, I think, which is very important is that even if you appear to be a bit nervous and others notice, this does not mean that they will negatively judge you, uh, but rather that they think you're a little bit more sympathetic. So imagine a person that seems to be a bit nervous. What do you think about this person? I hope people think that they are caring about what yes. they Yes, the talk is important for me. I'm highly engaged. I want to do my best here for you. So this is all positive uh, attributes that we usually uh, give to people that seem to be a bit nervous. That's absolutely okay. And also, some people, especially early career researchers, tend to talk very fast and without uh, interpunction, you know, so and without any interruption. Boom, 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 boom. It is not bad to slow down and to have some pauses in your talk where you can find, you know, the next argument you want to make, right? So um, observe someone who is giving a talk and observe your own reaction to this if someone is giving you a little pause to follow his or her thinking, so it's not important or it's it's not a drama if you make a pause because you just forgot about the next point you want to make, but you can take the time and then pursue with your talk. And another very important aspect is if you are nervous in front of the audience, focus on your task. Don't focus on yourself. And you can train to change the focus of attention Um And it's very important just to get back to the task. What's, what's, what's the message I want to give the audience? Okay. As an anxious speaker, I find it fascinating. So in the short term, anxiety and fear response can be uh, somewhat helpful. But what should I do if I think that I feel overwhelmed by anxiety for a longer period of time? I think this is very important. As, as we already talked about the Jörgs-Dawson curve, you know, if you are in a very high and chronic level of arousal, this may also impair your well-being and also your performance. So I think um, one of the thresholds you should keep in mind is when you start avoiding situations. If you're canceling talks, if you're canceling meetings, if you have problems in meeting with your mentor and having a discussion with them, and if you postpone those meetings, This will get problematic because, as I said before, you are not able to learn coping with the situation. You would just remain, you know, on the same spot as you are, right? So um, that's one point. And the other point is that this, of course, you know, is a barrier for your career development, right? So whenever you really start repeatedly avoiding important situations, I think this is a sign then really to request help. I actually have a question. Is procrastination some sort of avoidance behavior as well? Procrastination is a very, very common phenomenon that is experienced not only by early career researchers, I can say. So again, um, of course, procrastination is avoidance because, uh, you know, I'm procrastinating a task which 
I don't like to do or maybe I don't know how to access this task or maybe I don't have a solution yet for that or maybe it's still something that is in a premature phase and needs some time to develop. So there are different reasons. Of course, procrastination can be a problem if it is too big, you know, or if it grows or if you procrastinate really important tasks behind the deadline. So I remember uh, a student who had a severe procrastination problem and then we did some exposure on that, meaning that, you know, usually you, ex ima imagine you, you, you have to do a, an important task. You have to write an abstract for a conference, for example. I can't imagine. Yeah, or you have to write the intro for your thesis, right? Yeah, what then happens is you're sitting in front of your computer Arousal increases and then this feels aversive for you and it increases more and more. And then on the peak of the arousal, you cancel and you do something else. For example, getting a coffee or doing the dishes or whatever, right? And then arousal goes down and you feel immediately relieved. But the problem is that because you have this immediate relief, the probability that in the next time you will again procrastinate is very high. So because this behavior, this avoidance behavior is reinforced by the immediate relief you experience. But on the long term, you know, you're not writing your thesis, right? So my, advi my advice for you, what you can do then is, you know, arousal is like a wave. And if you're not skipping the task, when you're on the peak of the tide, just sitting there and focus on the task until the wave goes through you, and you're just writing the first sentence, right? You keep on sitting in front of your computer until you finish, let's say, one page. So you're not finishing the work according to your emotions, but according to the plan you have. And always remember, emotions are transient phenomena. They go up, they rush through you, and then they decrease again. So just, you know, sitting there and keep on to your task No matter whether it's excellent or not, the task is to write one page. And then you finish if after having written one page, and then you can do the dishes. Okay? So my, uh, my advice here really is to face the procrastination, to observe yourself, and to keep hold on to the task you want to finish today. Right. Thank you for this advice. Right. So if someone is experiencing anxiety or now realizes that there is a risk of uh, getting anxiety disorder. Are there any ways or methods how one can prevent anxiety disorder or lower the risk of developing one? Yes, so um, maybe I would like to first point out which are warning signals. So warning signal first is if you suffer significant from your fear. So imagine a person who has fear of the little spiders. But she's living, you know, let's say on the roof of, of a large building where spiders never enter. Then there is a fear of spiders, but it's not a significant suffering, right? On the contrary, imagine you're living on the countryside and you have spiders regularly in your, in your bedroom. And then maybe this fear becomes significant because you're suffering on, from that. That's first the first important uh, risk or, or signal, warning signal. The second warning signal is avoidance, as we talked about. If avoidance exceeds a certain amount or a certain threshold, it gets problematic because then you get into a vicious circle, right? So if you really avoid important tasks for you, you should be aware that you get into problems by doing so. 
So um, what you can do if you think that you may have reached a threshold for an anxiety disorder is to get professional help. You can, of course, first ask the general physician, you know, uh, who knows you a lot and you can talk with him or her about that. Uh, or you can go to a psychotherapist or in uh, terms of or regarding Uh, academic anxiety, usually uh, universities have counseling centers, as is the case at HU Berlin, where you can talk to people and they can give you advice, right? So regarding your question uh, of prevention. Yes. So prevention is something that for anxiety disorders that we usually start very early in life because the incident starts so early. So usually we do preventive programs with children and their parents in order to prevent the new onset of anxiety disorders, right? What you can do, however, is um, if you have a focus of anxiety, for example, writing a paper, you know, ask yourself, what is exactly my fearful expectation, so is it that I can't manage it or is it that others will evaluate me in a negative way? So just, you know, put your finger on it. So what is it? And then you can try to find out if this expectation is true. For example, when giving a talk and you're expecting that people may, for example, leave the room because uh, they're annoyed or whatever, just find out whether this is true. One of the secrets of fear and anxiety is that fears usually are exaggerated, right? So usually they don't come true. But you can only find out if you're doing it, right? And the thing in doing or in mastering problematic and challenging situations is also that afterwards you have a very increased feeling of self-efficiency, which is a very nice feeling and which will help you in the next situation. So you can roll you know, the whole thing on, of avoidance also back and get into more mastery and self-efficacy. We are slowly coming to the end of our episode. And before we finish, I would like to ask you for one piece of advice for students and early career researchers yes, regarding yes, anxiety. Yes, I'd like to give that. First, uh, my first point is embrace your nervousness. It's a process that aims to support you right? Don't be afraid of your nervousness. It's a totally adaptive process and it will help you mastering different difficult situations. It's good. It's not bad, right? That's the first thing I would like to give you. And the second is put your finger on it. What exactly are you afraid of? Is your fear realistic? And what can you do to put your expectations to a test? And last but not least, Be honest about your tendency to avoid. The problem is that people who avoid also avoid thinking about their avoidance. So I think it's important to be honest to yourself. And if you have reached a certain level of avoidance that prevents you from mastering important tasks during your academic career, you should might, or you might consider getting professional help. And don't, you know, don't be too late with this. So before we wrap up, maybe you could give some homework or food for thought for um, our listeners that they can take away and ponder a bit after the episode. Yeah, so maybe if you think you're a candidate for fear during academic situations, maybe just be curious and have a look at it. You know, if you have a situation during the next week where your fear is triggered, maybe you can really go through this, identify your fearful expectation Write it down, 
write a hypothesis down. I'm, I guess as a scientist, you're all familiar with hypothesis. Yes. So what is your hypothesis regarding what is the worst thing that can happen to you during the next situation? And then go through the situation and afterwards explicitly look at your hypothesis and try to falsify it. Yeah, collect right? evidence. Yes, it? evidence, evidence, evidence. Exposure therapy is all about, you know, collecting evidence about your fear. Thank you, Professor Lucan, for the insights about anxiety. Hopefully now our listeners are more aware of what anxiety is and what can be done to prevent it. I would like to thank you for listening and I hope that you enjoyed this conversation. Make sure that you check the show notes to find more details and also the transcript on smartandwell.buzzproud.com. Don't forget to share this episode with your friends or colleagues who might benefit from this podcast. I will talk to you again soon. Take care. Be smart and stay well.